1: Welcome to Hunting Seasons, the podcast that dares to binge-watch, deep-dive, and break down a season of television each and every week. I'm Broderick Gordas.
0: I'm Damask Leary.
1: And today we'll be discussing Making a Murderer Season 2. How you doing, Damask?
0: I'm good. I'm in a caftan. Mm, which
1: is smart. I'm in denim, and uh, it is very hot, and... Not the best oh, choice I've made all day.
0: Well, I've moved into this house because uh, you know it had heating and cooling, only to find out cooling doesn't really work. So oh. we are svitzen.
1: Is it a? It's evaporative, isn't it? That's your problem. Oh. Never get evaporative. No, icons. I don't think it is. Well, well, I you should talk to your landlord. It doesn't
0: work. Apparently, we have and an, this is it. This is all we get. So what? I think the vents are blocked. I don't know.
1: Oh, that's fixable.
0: I might get my housemate up there and just clear it, clear around.
1: <laughs> Do a bit of a uh, hard getting mm. the vents.
0: Oh, maybe I'll just like cover a million like a bunch of like brooms, broom handles. Yeah, get walking up around there. Good idea. No good idea. I'm That's a, a perfect idea. Anyway, how are you?
1: Yeah, good. Um, what I wanted to bring up today, before we start the podcast proper, is announce that we are going to be doing a very special holiday themed episode mm-hmm. of Hunting Seasons to finish out the year, mm-hmm. just before Christmas. We're releasing this one, um, and so what I want to put out there for listeners is I would like to get their input on this. Basically, what I want to know, or what we want to know, is what is your favorite Christmas or holiday themed episode of a television mm-hmm. show? Um, send it our way via uh, the Twitters or via our email address, Brad S, um, whatever you want to do.
0: <laughs> Brad S, my enemy.
1: <laughs> um and we may, we'll consider it for inclusion, basically. We're going to cover probably five or six different Christmas episodes, talk about those. That's a lot. Maybe yep. do a bit of a uh, a wrap-up of the sort of the year in television as well while mm-hmm. we're at it.
0: Top shows. Um,
1: but we'd really love a little bit of audience re- uh, interaction there. So if you've got some I uh, oh,
0: mean, I could take it all sure.
1: <laughs> We'll find episodes if we don't have <laughs> listeners sending stuff in, but I think that'd be really cool if we did. Mm-hmm. Let's get into Off Topic, Hot Topic. Off Topic Hot Topic. Ah, that's whatever you were talking about for you. Off Topic Hot Topic is our news and views segment where we get to talk about the headlines of the TV world and discuss the stuff we've been watching that isn't this week's season of television. If you would like to contribute a topic or story to Off Topic Hot Topic, you can do so by emailing us at contact at huntingseasonspodcast.com or tweeting us at huntingscast. News in Fuller. Mm. American Gods, Mm -hmm. that show that Brian Fuller was fired from, uh, is officially returning on March 10th, 2019.
0: Just in time for my birthday.
1: Just in time for the... Happy birthday, Damascus. Thank you. Exactly what you were looking forward to. That's
0: what I was praying for and amen.
1: The big question is, are we going to cover it next season?
0: Please. Okay.
1: Yeah. Why not? I think it's only like eight episodes. It's I don't know
0: be... why you're so excited for it.
1: I lo- I ended up liking the first season. I... Yeah, it was
0: okay, wasn't it? It yeah, was. It was okay.
1: in the end. Yeah. It started it shit mm. and then Laura Moon and then mm. it got better.
0: It... Yeah, I just think because it seems like such a disaster behind the scenes that I that's fascinating.
1: I need it's to see what this show a, looks like. A pile like. of
0: shit, yeah, it could be quite fun. It could uh, be good.
1: Yeah. Remember, it's been a while, I feel like, since we did had like a dead like me scenario mm. where we get to really rip into a season of television. That's true. Brian Fuller has it coming, even if he's not involved with the show anymore. <laughs> yeah. Just a few headlines, actually, quite a few headlines today. Um, number one, the good place has been renewed for a fourth season. Um Are
0: we already in season four?
1: We're in season three currently. Are we? Yeah, we're in season three.
0: Oh, God. I, f- I feel like it's been years and years and years. This right. has been
1: the longest year. Did you know that Black Panther was released this year? Was it? Yes. <laughs> That's how long this year has and been. And the weird
0: thing is, I thought this year had gone quickly. It turns no. out it's been going for 70 million years. It's
1: eternal. I mean, 2018. Never ends. But yeah, The Good Place, uh, renewed for a fourth season. Uh, we'll talk about how we feel about that when we talk about season three, when that ends sometime. I think January or February next year. Season three will come to an end. There's putting big gaps into it. Is that, is the that end. true? Yep.
0: Mm-hmm. Really? We've got, we've got definitely one.
1: We've... it's season three? Yeah, it's 100% season three. It's definitely. I'm
0: so confused.
1: <laughs> Damascus, when I walked, this is a Damascus house. I walked in <laughs> to record and Damascus was sound asleep. The only reason I got into the house at all was because the doors were left open. So I just barged my way in. <laughs> if she's feeling, saying a little bit, you know. <laughs> Do- 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 Dozy in there? It's because she just woke up.
0: Feel free to take a photo of me and I'll put it on the Instagram. It's <laughs> an example of like the state of me at the moment.
1: Absolutely, mm. I will do that for sure. I'm good. Uh, another bit of news I want to talk about: Buffy and mm. Angel and Firefly are now streaming for free on Facebook. So Facebook has this thing; they have now <laughs> created their own streaming service, which apparently is free, called Facebook Watch. Trying to get claw people back. You know, after they sold their information down the river to Russia <laughs> and like all, all those little things. They're trying to make up for it by giving us free seasons of Buffy. Um, Which
0: is working on me, I can <laughs> tell you. I'm very excited about it.
1: From what I understand, and I say understand because it should be noted that this doesn't work in Australia just yet. And I have been oh, trying. Oh, once again, Zuckerberg. Tra- trying and trying and trying to get to work. Mm. Um, even trying some VPN stuff and not really succeeding with that. We'll, we'll get there eventually. Um the The idea is that basically you just have to like the page of that series and then once you've done that on Facebook Watch, you have access to their episodes. All oh, of Buffy. That's interesting. All of Firefly and all of Angel. Wow. Yeah, it's kind of cool. And if only it worked. <laughs> if only it worked in Australia. I'm fascinated to know because I want to see what versions of them we're getting too. Are mm. we getting the original 4x3 TV SD versions? Are we getting the... Terrible HD uh, sort of upraises they did, mm. where the color grades were off, and you could see the boom mics in <laughs> shot and stuff like that. Like <laughs> that's what I'm fascinated to see as well. But could be a cool way to watch Buffy if you don't mind selling your personal data to Facebook.
0: I mean, we've already done it, so.
1: Well, yeah, but they're getting less and less of it now because I'm barely on there anymore. Yeah, that's like true. that stuff is old news. They don't
0: even know what I like anymore. Yeah, they got no idea.
1: <laughs> I don't like it what they think anymore. Mm. Revered anime series Evangelion Neon Genesis is coming to Netflix. This Mm -hmm. was Mm -hmm. some big news if you're an anime fan at all.
0: Huge.
1: (laughs) Huge news. Uh, Damascus, what anime have you watched?
0: I've watched it.
1: You've watched Evangelion Neon Genesis? It's
0: so... Okay, so my like... here we go. I get why you're like, sick, awesome, available on Netflix. Sweet. I think that's cool. Yep. The only... My reaction of fear... Is is that you tweeted me like, oh, we're definitely doing
1: this. (laughs) I didn't realise you actually watched it already.
0: Because it's... There's a lot. Yes, it is. It's so intense. Yes. Like, I feel like I'm probably going to develop epilepsy or some sort of mental illness if we do it.
1: Okay, that's fine. We... we I, I said that meant that more is like hey, I'm excited about this. We don't actually have to do anything. I know, I know, I know, it was
0: in jest, but I all of a sudden was like, oh no, <laughs> oh no. But no, I think that is exciting news.
1: I like the idea of discussing it when it comes back around because it is one of those shows that is super revered, but only to a very like cult specific mm. audience. The idea of it all 26 original episodes plus the two movies that finished mm. quote unquote the story. Um, are all arriving in 2019 onto streaming services worldwide is a big yeah. deal. This is massive exposure for this series. That I remember sneaking off to my room to watch episodes on SBS
0: masturbating. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> uh wasn't at the age where I was actually able to do that yet. Didn't know what Aww. I was doing. But pre
0: pre <laughs> Just masturbation. <slap> it around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how does um, this work? You know, I remember watching it on SBS. Like that's where I watched it. it blew With my runs. mind. Mm. I
1: think of it in my brain of like how that series. I should say as well, Evangelion um, is basically a. Uh, it's a mech anime so it's about uh children uh 15 year olds I think from memory who get inside giant robots and fight giant aliens sort of like Godzilla type creatures kaiju that coming to Earth particularly Tokyo uh Tokyo 3 in this case and are trying to basically destroy humanity that is the the basic plot of of Evangelion giant robots fighting giant aliens. But it's way crazier than that, especially when you get to the degree of things. Because I, I don't think I ever saw the whole thing through until way later when I was on VHS or DVD, like mm. I rented out from a video store or something like that. But like the bits I caught blew my... It was like one of those first real um, exposures to dark sort of philosophical sci-fi stuff, mm-hmm. psychological sci-fi. Mm-hmm. And, like, there are moments in that that I remember vividly the reaction, and, and like, just my tiny little 12 year old brain was just like, What? kind of <laughs> stuff. Um, not mm-hmm. understanding a lot of it, but just the influence was huge. So, I don't know. I'm,
0: I'd yeah. i
1: be interested in revisiting again, but I don't, yeah. that doesn't mean we have to do it for the podcast. My only, like, I could do that maybe with the, uh, the um, dialogue options guys if you didn't want to do it.
0: Yeah, I think I have, I mean, we can certainly do it with them. I have a bit of trepidation around it because I find it really quite difficult. To discuss Japanese storytelling, all sure, the time, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so different, definitely, and um, a lot of the things that I've learnt, um, in how to critique story from Western storytelling, so it's quite a big challenge. But maybe that's an important challenge to kind of talk oh, about.
1: I think, yeah, that I 100 percent agree with you. Anime, I can. A lot, one of the reasons I don't watch a lot of anime anymore is mm. because I do find the storytelling just doesn't sit with my Western yeah. sensibilities particularly well, sometimes. Sometimes it does. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of the time, I find it a little bit perplexing or, or hard to, to penetrate, if that makes sense. Hey, oh, yeah. hey, oh, um Speaking of anime, though, the very next day after they announced Evangelion, mm. the original series was coming to Netflix. Netflix announced that a live-action cowboy bebop TV series is also coming to Netflix. Um, which I am that guy who's watched three anime in his life. Yeah. And Cal- <laughs> Neon Genesis Evangelion is one, and Cowboy mm-hmm. Bebop is one of the other ones.
0: Mm-hmm. And, oh, what's the third?
1: Uh, the third would probably be, I mean, Dragon Ball Z. Oh,
0: yeah.
1: And then you can start talking about like, uh, Pokemon and like Fullmetal Alchemist, I've seen bits and pieces of and stuff mm. like that. But for those, those two yep. are the massive ones. Yeah. And, and Dragon Ball. Um, so, the details, I'm just going to read a little bit from the article from William Hughes at the AV Club. Details in the series are understandably light, although Netflix sci fi branded NX Twitter account did note that original series creator uh, Sunichi Kiro Wan- Wanatabi has been brought on to consult, and that the first episode of the series will be written by Thor Ragnarok scripter Chris Yost. So, there's some interesting pedigree behind this. The fact that the original creator is behind it is exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris- is it American? Um, is the series American? Yeah. I believe so, yeah. Okay, if yeah. Chris Yost is writing it, then yes. Right. Um it's Netflix America. This isn't right. a Japanese arm or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of interesting thoughts there. Uh the immediate reaction from anyone who's a fan of the original anime is what the fuck are you doing? Why? <laughs> <laughs> I think. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people would have liked to have seen, heard that maybe Cowboy Bebop was gonna be available. The original series mm, on I would
0: love that because you and our friend Ben and lots of our friends like Cowboy Bebop is the one, the one yeah. true love in a lot of ways. I've never watched it.
1: I own it all on Blu-ray, and I would love to do it for the podcast. Yeah. Um, do you have a Blu-ray player?
0: No, I was about to say that. No, I don't. I don't. I'm sorry.
1: This would be handy if it was on Netflix. Netflix, hey, you want to get that up there before the live action (laughs) series comes out? Because that would be cool to do it. Mm. And then we could go on to talk about. I would like to. Because I'm going to watch the show out of a curiosity. I want to say morbid curiosity. I want to give it a fair shake. But the problem is that uh, live action adaptations of anime have not generally been great. Mm. People talk about the Death Note adaptation, Mm. no one really liked that. Um, people talk about the there was a uh, Fullmetal Alchemist one that I don't think people particularly liked either. There was the infamous Ghost in the Shell movie mm. with Scarlett Johansson. Great. Like, Great stuff. Yeah. This has not gone well in the past. No. Um, so there is a lot of trepidation there. But the TV, I don't know. I don't know. I hope it's good.
0: You never it, know. I mean, it's one of those things like for so long, superhero things couldn't. Be translated properly and then, you know, people learnt and grew and then we got a lot of superhero things that are fucking cool as.
1: The comparisons to Firefly are pretty strong with Cowboy Bebop as well, though Cowboy Bebop came first, which is worth pointing out. It's this ragtag group of criminals who are sort of just trying to get by, doing jobs um, sort of while on a spaceship flying through space. To get any more detail than that would be to spoil sort of how the story unravels itself. You get to find out a lot of the backstories of these characters, understand where they came from, how they came to be where they are, um, sort of where they're going, those sorts of things. But yeah, I mean, that's the basic concept. It's uh, it's a jazz fueled um space cowboy show, mm-hmm. and the crew on the ship on the on the Bebop are. Uh, there, there's a real chemistry there that you need to get right. You need to get those characters right. Mm. But more importantly than any of that, you need to get the style of the show right. That show right. is substance, definitely, but it is is really coasting on style in a lot of ways. Mm. And anime, the animated format allows for you to do a lot. You've got a lot of flexibility right. in how you present mm-hmm. things. Um, music is really integral. So there's a lot of like, this could be great or this could go really wrong mm-hmm. too. So I don't know. I'm... Fingers crossed, it's good. But it, uh, and then again, if people, if they do release the original series mm. beforehand and people can go and find that on Netflix for the first time, then it's worth it's happening. I think this is. I actually have a similar reaction to this. As I do about the Avatar live action TV series. Yeah. Like, Why are we doing this? <laughs> um. But one more little piece of anime advice, just before we get off the topic. Mm. Later this that week, a Blade Runner anime series set to be made at Adult Swim and Crunchyroll, um, was announced. Uh, I'm going to read a little bit from this article from Joe Ottison at Variety. Blade Runner Black Lotus, as it will be called, will consist of 13 half-hour episodes. Details of the plot are being kept under wraps, but it's known that the story will take place in 2032 and will include some established characters from the Blade Runner universe. So that puts it between the original and the new movie. Did mm-hmm. you see either of those films? I can't remember.
0: I have seen both. Both yes. of
1: them. What do you think of the new one, 2049?
0: I mean, I don't really care for either of them. Okay, cool. I mean, they're fine, but not for me.
1: Uh, uh, Shinichio, Shinichio Watanabe, because I'm terrible with those names, sorry, will serve as creative producer. Watanabe previously wrote and directed the anime short film Blade Runner Blackout 2022, which served as one of the three anime short prequels to Blade Runner 2049. So before... I liked
0: the shorts more than I okay. liked
1: the other so stuff. So the shorts were good, right? Yeah. Did you catch the name of the person who was going to be incredibly involved as a creative producer then? The one is I, it the me? Name I butchered, no. no. The name I butchered. No. Okay. So that was Sunichiro, Sunichiro Watanabe mm-hmm. is the creator of Cowboy Bebop.
0: Oh. So in a week
1: we've got, we're doing an American live action remake <laughs> of Cowboy Bebop. He's gone, fuck you, I'm doing an anime remake. <laughs> <laughs> anime adaptation of Touché. just American shit. Yeah. I was Good like, that's interesting. Um. So I don't know. I'm more excited about that. Uh, mm-hmm. That which is not trying to remake anything; it's trying to expand the story. We've yeah. already seen a proof of concept of this working mm. with that uh, yeah, no, Black really really like twenty that twenty two or Blackout twenty twenty two. Like that's like I always wanted more more Matrix stuff in mm-hmm. the in the vibe of the Animatrix. I think there's a lot of things you can explore there. Mm-hmm. Um, and animation means you get to recreate that stuff on a budget, and you can get away with a lot. I yeah. don't, that is way more interesting to me than the live action adaptation of Bot. But anyway. Damask, do you have anything for off-topic, hot topic for us?
0: I do. Got a couple of trailers for us to talk about. The first one, it's a little old, but we haven't talked about it yet. It's the old Lion King trailer. You might have heard of this film, a little little known film, bit of an indie piece. Um, <laughs> so it's good to see it's going to get a major release. That's really nice. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> watching the trailer at the end, Mufasa asks us all to remember. And I think we do remember. I think we uh, remember very, very well. The Lion King was the first movie I ever saw at the cinemas. Also mine. Yeah. So it's it's pretty important for people of our generation, I think, this film. Mm -hmm. So I'll be interested to see what this new interpretation brings. But I think, yeah, no, I think I am going to wait until reviews come out to see if it's either a valid reinterpretation or like just a sad retreading of a great film.
1: The, we've got to remember, I think, in terms of giving us some hope here, that it is mm. being made by Jon Favreau. That's who the saving grace, isn't it? has never, as far as I can tell through, at least what well, I've watched if he's made a bad movie, and did... The Jungle a, Book was great. Yeah, did a much better job mm. with The Jungle Book than I think it had any right to be. Yeah,
0: it was bizarre. I was like, what is happening? I'm yeah. loving this film. You didn't believe film.
1: me for the longest time. I was, was like, really yeah,
0: I'm sure, buddy. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. And then I watched it, I was like, well, 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 bro, does it again. Mm.
1: Uh... So yeah, I'm, I and mean, then it gives me a lot of hope. The problem is for me, and the, the thing is, you got to remember, is the teaser trailer, right? We don't know how much, how well that represents the movie. Often teaser mm. trailers are not representative of the I films don't at so all. I feel so
0: much teased as bullied by this trailer. <laughs> I was like, I don't know about it.
1: It's just the problem. To explain it, obviously, this version of The Lion King is live action in quotation marks. <laughs> in the sense that. I
0: love how the internet was just so confused by the concept of live action. Like, but that's not a real lion! I was like, yeah, it's not no, a real it's,
1: anything. It's lies. It's it all lies. Is comp- the only thing that's not made a computer dead action. are mm. the voices of the actors. <laughs> like, and even, yeah, like that. that is. Everything else is made a computer in, that, mm. in this movie. And so. But. So, while that's interesting, the idea of seeing a realistic version of The Lion King, the problem with the teaser, which is not a problem for some, some people just look at it and go, yes, more of what I had before, is that it's an almost shot-for-shot remake mm. of the opening of The Lion King.
0: I also didn't like how Baby Simba looked.
1: Oh, didn't like how Baby Simba looked? Nah,
0: didn't, didn't dig it.
1: It didn't bother it was, me so much. It wasn't
0: cute enough for me. Okay. I was like, "All right, you ugly mug." No. <laughs> well,
1: there's been some interesting discussion about how this is a really good example of why, like, traditional hand-drawn animation is better than live action. Why I have felt this way since seeing Beauty and the Beast, the live-action remake. That what a trash
0: fire that was.
1: It, it's. I don't think it's a terrible movie, but one of the problems. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Okay, one of the big problems I had with it was just the way they reinterpreted the um the staff, the castle staff, or whatever they've been turned uh, yeah. into. So you've got these ridiculously over complicated designs for Cogsworth and Lumiere and stuff like that to the point where you cannot actually see them emoting because they're hidden behind them trying to be like
0: it's a real, real looking yeah. with
1: really over designed features as well like yeah. they are super decorative right and so they just end up being sort of a mess to look at you don't Lumiere's face is almost impossible to tell and what a terrible accent in terrible accents. <laughs> Why choose a Scotsman to play a French character? I do not understand that at all. Yeah, me either. You couldn't find a real French person. I mean,
0: your McGregor is very charming, but totally. I need to see his cute little face. Yeah. Otherwise, lost on me. Or at
1: least the animated character he's playing's face. Mm. And so you look at that and then <laughs> yeah. you compare it to Lumiere and Cogsworth from the original. And because they're not trying to be ultra-realistic, they have the luxury of being a Disney animation, they have character. There is emotion mm. that can be perf- per- uh, pervade through their facial expressions mm-hmm. non-existent in the remakes my worry is with this new one yeah it's going to look impressive it's going to look real but is this better than mm. than like, like just a hand-drawn animation yeah but then i thought the same thing about the jungle book and the jungle book was better than the original so what do i know
0: yeah i've got to go back and look at what it looks like to see like um the animals talking in the jungle book it looks good it does look good i think it looks yeah. good okay
1: it's a, it's a good movie <laughs>
0: It's a great movie. I uh, felt many a thing that I did not expect to feel. Uh, anything else? Um yes. Yeah, so we have the second Captain Marvel trailer. Correct.
1: Like he looks for me like, is it the second one? Yeah, I was like, I'm pretty sure it's the
0: Where am I? Um, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> so Well, I couldn't remember if like the first trailer was a teaser or not. So I, I, I was mean like, it, it was. Yeah, kind but of it's, a, they generally It p- said the Trailer 2. Well, then we'll count it as the second trailer. Okay, there you go. It's
1: like less than 100 days till that movie comes out. So we'll get get one more.
0: Excellent. Anyway, so I am excited for this movie. I still think watching the trailer that the music should be God is a Woman. Because as I said in a previous episode, I saw a fan edit on Twitter of the first trailer with that Mm -hmm. song. And it's fucking way better. It's way more badass, inspiring, uh, fills me with energy. Um, but I was having um, while watching it some painful flashbacks of Green Lantern.
1: Yeah, a few when people have like compared it to Green Lantern, being yeah.
0: saved and transformed by the Kree, and it's kind of like a similar like vibe of like you know a fighter pilot, alien and race, like world turned, police yeah. sort of
1: thing going on, yeah, or universe police.
0: But I mean, this is Marvel, so I'm like, I'm pretty confident that it's going to be okay.
1: The thing is, Green Lantern wasn't bad because of the Green Lantern's world. Green Lantern was bad because it was a badly made film. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't think... I don't think Green... I think Green Lantern can be made into a good movie. The the Green Lantern concept has been that consistently. He's been a popular character for all the things that we are saying it's similar to Captain Mm. Marvel. It's just that that movie was poorly made.
0: Yeah. I mean, a lot of what was terrible about that film, and it was all terrible... Uh (laughs) <laughs> but it was like that. His, I mean, that alien planet was just green screen, disgusting. Right, yeah. totally. Um, yeah. So I was having flashbacks about that. But then seeing like the kind of um, buddy cop situation with Nick Fury, very excited about that situation. Yep. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it.
1: The, the trick that Marvel has up their sleeve mm. is they can insert a character like Nick Fury and go. Even if you didn't think you cared about these characters, you care about him, don't you? Yeah. Like <laughs> you're 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 in for this ride, no matter what. And I got to say, I'm pretty impressed with uh, what they're doing. With Samuel l. Jackson. We got to see a lot more of him. And the question is, is he how l- much of the movie is he really going to be in it? Um, because if he's going to be in the entire film and they're doing this digital de aging thing with him, that's going to be an incredible feat. But so far, as far as the trailers look, they're pulling it off. I'm pretty impressed.
0: I couldn't believe how good he looked. Mm. Like, amazing. Like, I forgot that it wasn't just him. Yeah. Like, that wasn't just his face. Yeah. They had done stuff to it. Yeah. I mean, they've, I been, like, they've
1: been getting this right for a long time now. They've been working on this technology for yeah. several films, but it's, it's looking good. Yeah,
0: well done them. What mm. about you? Is there any more news?
1: Uh, oh, I was just going to say, the Captain Marvel thing. I still also have the I don't know. There's always a fear with the new characters that mm. it's like what, what can you what can you do different with this one? Mm. What's what makes? Because at least with like Ant Man and Doctor Strange, I felt like Ant Man's a really unique concept. They were sort of doing this like rom com sort of thing with that one in a way as well, or it was a heist film comedy right? Mm-hmm. And then I still
0: haven't seen Ant Man and the Wasp. Uh,
1: See it; it's worth a watch. Yeah. I still like the first one better personally. Mm-hmm. I'm in the minority with that one. Okay. Um, and then what was the other one Doctor Strange, for instance. Like that was a lot of people compare that to Iron Man. I think that's a fair comparison, but at least the magic side of things felt different. There's not a lot about Captain Marvel except her being ridiculously powered, like possibly mm. more powerful than almost any character we've seen in the Marvel Universe before. That speaks to something new or original. Oh, you know what's a new and original? She's a woman with a leading film, mm. like a leading woman in it. I Marvel think I'm
0: film. excited to watch an origin story that is kind of both galactic which we get from guardians mm-hmm. and also a part of the world that we know connecting those two yeah. worlds a bit which more is gonna is, be
1: great that is cool uh, yeah i'm i'm interested certainly when it comes to like the Skrulls being in this i'm pretty excited they are a very interesting concept <laughs> mm-hmm. as a villain um so i'm looking forward to that yeah i only had one other thing i want to talk about briefly mm-hmm. And that is that. Uh, last night, night before recording this episode, I was uh, lucky enough to go and see a critic screening of *Mortal Engines*, mm. which is a <laughs> wow. That's an interesting mm, to start mm. this off. Which is an adaptation of the Philip Reeve book *Mortal Engines*. Uh-huh. First in a four-part series, a series that you and I quite liked when we were in high school. Had a lot of some passion might say for,
0: loved, yeah. loved
1: even the point where our fantasy was we need to write a screenplay of this Mm. someone needs to like let's do it we're going to write the screenplay for this and then we found out peter jackson had the rights let's write a screenplay and said to peter jackson we never did that (laughs) someone else did and they've made into a movie and then we earlier in the year they finally released the first trailer Mm. and the thing is the teaser and then there was the trailer we talked about the trailer and we had some
0: issues with that. We certainly did. I still have issues. Yep. With that.
1: the Based on the fact that the main character of Hester Shaw in the books is horrifically scarred.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, That's like a, it's something that's revealed in the first two chapters of the book. So I'm not going to see this as a spoiler for this 15 year old book. And when I say horrifically scarred, I mean like she's hard to look at. Yep horrifically scarred, who she's mm-hmm. lost an eye, her nose is a stump, her mouth is in a permanent sneer. She yeah. looks awful. And in this version, the adaptation for the movie, she has a scar on her face that runs across her left cheek. And while it's not a pretty scar, it is also not intruding on her facial features at all. Mm-mm. I think you described it as looking like there was just a hair across her face. Yeah. Which, it's a little nastier than that if we're being fair, but it's still not mm. all that bad. So, we sort of talked at length at that point about how this was so... This scar or this damage that was done to her face was so integral to Hester's story and that we worried what this was going to mean for the movie.
0: Mm-hmm. Well. And also, yes. not only that, not about what it did to the movie, but what it said as a larger message Absolutely. to women. Is that your stories are only important if you're beautiful. Absolutely. Which this is blatantly telling us that, which is, I think, disgusting.
1: Which... Uh Cameron Williams, a friend of the show, I went to the movie with him last night and we had a big discussion before the movie talking exactly about that mm-hmm. and just like, yeah, that's the biz. I'm like, yeah, that's the biz and that's the problem. Like, yeah. this, is, this is the bit that- Why take that story, to...
0: which is about that very thing of how you interpret someone's looks, mm-hmm. how that can be so wrong and so detrimental and so unfair. Why take that story-
1: Why make that movie? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you why they made the movie. They made the movie because it also... The story has a very evocative world that Mm -hmm. it exists in. It does. It's set in this post-apocalyptic earth where there was a war a thousand years ago and basically humanity blew up the earth and they've been trying to recreate civilization ever since. And instead of rebuilding um, just stagnant cities. Some parts of the world have created these cities that move. Mm-hmm. They, London, for instance, is on these massive tracks and moves across the countryside, eating other cities that are on the move. And that's a pretty cool concept. It's a spectacular idea. And in a lot of ways, I think that was the reason they wanted to make this movie. Maybe not so much to do with the uh, the characters, more to do with, let's bring this fantastic uh, post-apocalyptic sci-fi semi-fantasy almost world to life mm. and fair credit to the film it does a pretty good job of that i think i think the look and the feel of the world is right as someone who read the books mm-hmm. and i also i shouldn't let's just take that out of the equation for a second i'm going to talk about this in two sections Sort of how I feel about it as an adaptation and then just how I feel about it as a movie. Mm-hmm. And I think there is a lot to enjoy on a visual perspective. It mm. looks great. London looks great. It's cool to see that realized for the first time. Um, it's cool to see the grunginess of the world often. When you're outside of London, you're in the little towns getting around or on mm. the on the Great Plains sort of areas. And it feels gross and grungy. And there's something about that, the vibrating of these machines as they move around. The way the food moves and stuff like that. That's kind of cool. They get that stuff right. Um, However, while they get the spectacle right, one of the things I noticed pretty early on was it also feels like this film has been cut to shreds in the editing. <laughs> right. So the way I saw described is, is it feels like the first two acts have been uh, really sort of shortened. It's almost mm-hmm. like they hollowed out the insides of this um, movie. The film is two hours long. And I would bet my bottom dollar that it was at least two and a half hours. For quite a while, Mm. until an executive from high leaned down and instructed 20 to 30 minutes had to be cut and not from the third act, just from Act 1 and Act (laughs) 2. With this, they seem to have cut out any real examination of this post apocalyptic world what people are like now, why they like what they like, why there is conflict. Mm. In a lot of ways, it boils down to a knockoff version of the Rebels versus the Empire, but with even less understanding of what that conflict actually looks like. You've got this idea of like anti-tractionist versus tractionists, and mm. they use the term um, municipal Darwinism and stuff like that, but they don't really talk about what that is. At one stage, Tom, the other lead of this film, who is a massive passenger, by the way, has nothing to do in this entire movie. Right. Um... Talks about how all all tractionists should be um, should be uh, thrown out, and over the course of the story, his views might oh, so not thrown out. So he should be locked up. Mm. And over the course of the story, let's just say his views are challenged, but not really. You right. never really get a sense of what Tom thinks about a lot of things. Mm, the only thing right. that Tom really seems to have any thoughts about is that he wants to fly like balloon airship things. <laughs> That's his seems to be his main goal. He says two things along the way that he wants. He wants he wanted to be an aviator once upon a time and that he wants to travel the world. But he doesn't really comment on that, have all a lot of conflict with that.
0: Wait, the character of Tom wants to travel the world. Yes. That's Well, that's quite a change.
1: It it, it is. And but again, not just gonna talk about this from the sake of because wouldn't it have been more interesting if this was someone who is an isolationist who sort of wanted to stay in his safe yeah, London? Like how like and how he The Hobbit, the
0: book. Yeah. And they right. changed that in the film and that really changes the film.
1: And then maybe along the way realised that he was a sheltered person and mm. that there was more to the world mm. than he thought and maybe his views changed.
0: Maybe he grows. Maybe
1: he grows. Mm. Don't know evidence of that as far as I can tell watching this film. He's, but luckily he's also a passion of this, passenger in this movie. While in the book he is the point of view character mm-hmm. most of the time, yep. they have wisely chosen to let Hester definitely be the driving force of this That's film. That's good. Smart, because she's a more interesting character and always has been. Mm-hmm. Hester, however, while not a completely unsuccessful character, lacks any of the harshness of her book self. She's a loner for a while, but she is softened so quickly as to be a cliche. Julia Styles in 10 Things I Hate About You is more hostile than Hester Shore <laughs> is. Her facial scar, our biggest concern, is minimised both in appearance, and most importantly, in its importance. It's more important explaining how bad a certain other character is now and how it reflects, how it reflects on Hester. Mm. Like when they talk about the scar, it's talked in the context of that person is a monster, not what is Hester.
0: Yeah. How has it affected you?
1: Right. When she is commented upon, mm. it's not that she is hideous or even that people are necessarily that hostile to her. It's mainly that she's just not fuckable. There is literally a bit on where people just say, you can do better than her to Tom. And that's how they, not even talking to her. And they're talking to Tom. There's another bit later on where she's like basically up for an auction. And they sort of go, oh, yeah, she's a little bit damaged. But not in the sense of like the, 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 the reaction. It's so minimized because they had to because the scar is minimized. Mm. So all of a sudden, they've basically what they've done is they've chosen to, A, not give her the, the hideous scar. They've given her kind of a scar. But because of that, Hester is nothing like she's in the book. And then you have to wonder, is this version... Of Hester, while it makes sense in the movie, worth watching. And the problem is she's kind it's so cliche as to be nothing. Mm. This loner girl who struggled a little bit and then falls in love with a boy and softens by the end of the movie is like, fuck man, that is so uninspiring and interesting when I know this story is way better than that. And so that was really, really disappointing as a fan of the books. I mean, most of the characters seem to barely even notice that she's scarred. Is commented on so little. Not even just commented. People do not react to the sight of her mm. at all, which is the whole point of Hester. Yeah. Anyway, but what really annoyed me is they couldn't even commit to the watered down Hester Shaw. And what I mean by that is Hester is still this scavenger on the land, right? She's somebody who sort of had to learn to survive and keeps away from other people because she doesn't want to be around people. So mm-hmm. she sort of has to harden herself. <sighs> There is a close-up <laughs> shot of Hester holding a small object in her hand. Mm. That this dirty scavenger, that's been scraping off the land without any help from anyone, has perfectly manicured fingernails.
0: <laughs>
1: and I was just like, "How does that happen? how How does that make sense? How does no one go?" And the answer is, they wanted this girl to be pretty enough, right? Mm. They wanted Hester to not to be to have to be. Attractive enough.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They couldn't even commit to the idea that she would so give a shit about like, her own appearance.
0: In in the books, it does like... She is erratic like a wild animal because she has been abandoned by society because of how she looks. Exactly. What is the point of this movie? That's why I'm not going to go see it. Like, I'm, fuck that movie. The, I'm only thing the,
1: the, the, the only thing the film has to offer, as far as I can tell, is the spectacle.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: they knew that which is they knew it wasn't working. But a, they I mean that started before they started filming, right? Because they had built a story that was nothing. Mm. And they knew that, so they cut out the guts of the film, made it move as quickly as it can to get to the third act, which is the biggest spectacle moment, mm-hmm. and let that run pretty well. That feels smooth. It doesn't have the ridiculous quick editing where you can't where the person talking is not on screen because they've obviously ADR'd it to make it happen faster, or they've mm-hmm. reshot and inserted things which happens a lot in the first 30 minutes. It's so frequent. It's really distracting. And then just to get to make sure we get to all the shiny bits, Mm. which is so disappointing as someone who's a fan of the book. I'll give it one other concession for how it's good.
0: I'll give it one star. Mm.
1: It did one thing better than I thought it was going to. Mm -hmm. And that is, without spoiling this, for people who want to see it or want to read the book, there's a storyline involving Hester Shaw and a character named Shrike. Mm Mm-hmm. That is actually quite effective.
0: Cool, that's good.
1: That's well done. It was one of the things I thought was probably going to get shafted Mm. or get poorly um, executed. Mm -hmm. The character of Shrike is better than I thought my initial impressions were based on the trailers. And the the way they tackle that storyline as far as like a character thematic moment in the film is the most effective by a wide margin, Mm. which was good. I was glad that bit worked because I've always liked that bit, mm-hmm. but the rest of the film's trash. Well, not trash, but it's <laughs> very disappointing as a fan of the the books. And uh, honestly, people who have not read the books, which is most people, it's reviewing terribly, and mm. there's a reason. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that, Damask.
0: No, I'm I'm glad it's shit. It's really ah oh,
1: man. It could have been so good though. Yeah, That's it could a bit have been disappointing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, let's get that's to it. That's
0: why, sorry, that's why on. when you take something that is actually a special, unique perspective and you make it like every other Hollywood bullshit spectacle, mm-hmm. it's just, it's vapid. It's just, it's, yeah, that's what you get. My my, And I'm glad it's not successful because it doesn't deserve to be.
1: Uh, it looks expensive, though. It was filmed in New Zealand, so it likely has a lot of, like, budgeting concessions behind it mm. so if it makes money i don't know how I can't, i've never seen it advertised anywhere yeah me either um it might get a sequel might i think its best chance of success is if it somehow finds that um hunger games divergent maze runner audience that might be looking for a new mm-hmm. film it sort of fits in that yeah uh demographic i think if it finds that Maybe tweens did and teens. Did they even finish
0: Divergent or they all that. I don't mean, think they did, in the yeah, end. or they went no to the TV show or something. This. Or mm-hmm. yeah,
1: I'm not sure. I'm not sure where that went in the end. But um, maybe they tap an audience like that and it mm. takes off. It, it. Cameron said something that I thought was interesting. He's like, this is one of those films that in 20 years' time, someone saw it when they were eight, is going to turn around and say, why this film is better than everyone gave it credit for at the time. <laughs> yeah. Which it might be true. I, mm-hmm. You know, this might really hit a home run with like some kids and stuff like that. But I. I don't know. I'm not that cynical. <laughs> I, I I think kids are smarter than that. We'll see through it as being just average.
0: Yeah. Do you say? Don't you mean you're not that optimistic?
1: No, I'm not that cynical. That kids are that dumb to not see that, that that to like. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think it's cynical to think that kids are going to eat it up just because it's pretty. Do you know what I mean? I think oh, kids. I, are, see, yeah. I think kids are, are smarter than that. And even though it's pretty and like it's got a good mm. world, are uh, not going to be engaged with the characters because there's nothing to be engaged with they're mm. going to leave it behind as well.
0: Yeah.
1: That being I'm said... I mean, I hope there's one... There's a Minions reference in there, so what do I know? <laughs> what? It, it's actually... No, it makes sense. It was the only laugh the the film got the entire time. Oh, okay. It actually made perfect sense. Is it in the
0: museum? Yes. Yeah. Yes.
1: It's the very start of the film. Yeah. Uh, oh, because they
0: couldn't do the they couldn't Disney do, they stuff. They couldn't do
1: Mickey Mouse. Yeah. So they yeah, went that with makes Minions sense. instead. Yeah, I was looked at that. I was like, yep, that makes sense yeah. and well done. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, my point has always been that... The uh, you can have an adaptation have things change, right? Yeah, of course. O- obviously, details change to make the story work. There are a few in there that you look at and go, "I can see why you made those story changes based on the previous one, mm-hmm. based on the book." But you, it, it's weird when you change the fundamentals.
0: Well, that yeah, I don't care about changes. I yeah. kept removing the essence of the story is my issue.
1: My example was always: imagine the Lord of the Rings, but hobbits aren't small. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, what's the point of the of the Lord of the Rings if Frodo
0: is? What's inspiring about a big a, a normal person? Tall, yeah, what's it's, if it's just about Aragorn? It's just about another like privileged prince dude who like doesn't want to be king, but now he's king, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, you're missing mm. the the point of that story. The
0: inspiration of yeah. insurmountable odds and in doing it anyway because it's the right thing to do. And yeah. so when
1: you when you remove Hester's. Horrific scarring. Mm-hmm. You're 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 removing the hobbits. Anyway, <laughs> let's get to our spoiler-free review of *Making a Murderer* season two. Let me clue you in.
0: Season in review.
1: Making a Murderer is an American true crime documentary television series written and directed by Laura Ricciardi and Moira Demos, and premiered on Netflix on December 18, 2015. The first season centres on the investigation and trial of Stephen Avery, a man from Minotowoc County, Wisconsin, who served 18 years in prison for the wrongful conviction of sexual assault and attempted murder, but was then again charged in 2005 and convicted in 2007 of the murder of Teresa Halbach. Brenda Brendan Dassey, Stephen's nephew, was accused and convicted as an accessory in the murder after apparently confessing to the grisly crime. The second season explores the aftermath of both Stephen and Brendan's convictions, focusing on Avery and Dassey's families. The investigation and findings of Avery's new attorney, Kathleen Zellner, and Dassey's legal team's effort in arguing that his confession was coerced by prosecutors and his constitutional rights were violated. Season two of Making a Murderer consists of 10 episodes, each coming in at around 63 minutes and took us approximately 10 hours and 35 minutes to watch. Making a Murderer won several awards, including four primetime Emmys in 2016, including Outstanding Documentary or Non-Fiction Series. Damask. Yes. What did you think of Making a Murderer season season one? Let's ask that first, actually. What did you think of season one before we start talking about season two?
0: I really liked it. I thought it was a really well-constructed story. Lots of twists and turns. I was I was a big fan of it. What about you?
1: I just thought that was interesting the way you put that because obviously this is a documentary. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like I agree with you. It is an interestingly told story. Mm. I think my initial interpretation of, of season one was that I think I think people were turned off by its. Um slow nature. It was very deliberate, ultra detailed, you know. I it, like that. Yeah, and I think not everyone loved that. I mm. ate it up. Man, yeah, I watched too. all I'm like, of give that. Me in, more
0: detail, please. It was less than a week. Mm-hmm. I watched
1: all of those original episodes and they were long. Um, but it was such a fascinating story and such a fascinating uh investigation in and look at the justice system. Mm. Uh, particularly the Brendan Dassey stuff. Like, Stephen's stuff is very, very interesting. Absolutely. The idea, even, that he might have been set up, which seems outlandish at first, but seems to have credibility, right?
0: Oh, as it goes on, you're like, what? What? Whoa. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah there's pl- plenty of revelations along the way. Um, but the Brendan Dassey stuff always seemed to me like the the biggest mockery of justice. The oh, ridiculous. idea of the uh, the coerced confession, or the, or the yeah coerced false confession most importantly I think or potentially false confession. Yeah which I of all the things in this show that they're talking about never doubted have mm. it always seems so clear that Well that's that one of on the few things in this
0: case that is straightforward at least in my eyes because yeah. we have the video footage we can see the conversation he's clearly a um not mentally Disabled because he's not. He's mm-hmm. intellectually challenged. Challenged. Um, kid who very confused about what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, looks like he's just in trouble and try and trying to be helpful.
1: Extremely suggestible is the most important thing of yes. all, I think.
0: And is suggested to overtly suggested to. Mm. Um which you can't it, which taints the confession completely. Therefore it should immediately be thrown out.
1: So, with that in mind, our thoughts on season one, what did you think of season two of Making a Murderer?
0: All right. Well, true crime isn't new. It comes and goes just like any other genre. And it's usually during times of declining crime when the fascination with true crime um, is at its most popular. And I think that's probably what's happening now. You know, things are pretty safe. We feel pretty comfortable. And so, delving into the darker things feels okay. hmm um now early depictions of true crime focused on things like the criminal class like the poor people who going to come in and steal all your stuff and kill your wife and your husband and all that jazz um or you know the man in the shadows the boogeyman and now i feel like we tend to focus on the banality of evil most likely a natural progression from world war ii and the discovery that you know we all have the potential to be evil. Um, we're fascinated by the machinations of, or the and the inner world of a killer. The the mind, I think, is the last frontier in a lot of ways. We want to understand the darkest minds that are out there. Do they have parallels with our own? If they do, what does that mean? I think it's interesting, and I don't think we should shy away from that curiosity. I know a lot of people think, oh, is true crime ethical. And I think in a lot of ways, it's obviously there's sensationalist media out there, which I don't think is, but I think just the simple exploration of true crime is interesting. Uh, The psychology of violent offenders is interesting and informative, but that fascination can sometimes turn to idolization. The question is, should we make killers folk heroes, people like, you know, Manson? And I think, you know, absolutely not. And that's the question I think, with this show, is making a murderer actually making a folk hero? And I think it is. If he did murder Teresa Holbach, that is truly awful. But if he didn't, then something has to be done. So then we as the audience are forced to kind of ask or reckon with, you know, what is right. I don't know. None of us do. And that's quite scary because this is a, a big thing and it's true. This season of Making a Murder delves into proving Stephen Avery innocent in a court of law, in amassing a mountain of evidence that would overwhelm a court of law. It's also about the uphill battle faced by lawyers who are trying to prove the justice system wrong. This season is very different from the first. We don't have clear villains this season, In part one, there were bad guys doing bad things. It was infuriating to watch what seemed like a great injustice take place. There were also twists and escalation. We don't have that this year either. There aren't big reveals. What we have is four separate camps that make up this one show. One is a fascinating but frustrating look at two earnest lawyers working their butts off to save an innocent man, It looks at how the system is seemingly incapable of owning its mistakes and writing them, and how the state of Wisconsin is willing to waste a young man's life so it doesn't get pie on its face. The Second Camp is a show about an incredibly charismatic, strong, no-nonsense lawyer who has dedicated her life to freeing the wrongly convicted. She shoots guns, has a gaggle of wide-eyed law clerks following her at every moment, and she soaks in everything you're saying, completely unafraid of long pauses." She uses the media to win in the court of public opinion and she has a keen eye for strategy and an eagle eye for mistakes. And boy, does she relish in the mistakes of her opponents. Everyone is incompetent compared to her. And then three, we have a sad tale of a family getting older and the rifts of a decade-long struggle has all but worn them to dust. And the unspoken fourth is that there is a community of family and friends who are a silent wave of rage, threatening to spill over and crash down on the show, making you aware of how exploitative much of this affair is. So, there are elements I like this season, there are some I don't. It's different and disjointed. Four, really, four shows smashed into one, very unlike the first season. What about you, Brad?
1: Make some very interesting points there. Very good points. I think <laughs> to review the season first, I just think it is a strong, if wholly less exciting continuation of the Stephen Avery and Brendan Dassey story. And by that, I mean exactly what you said. It doesn't mm-hmm. have escalation. It doesn't have the villains. It does mm-hmm. The romance of the first season is not there. And that is by virtue of the situation yeah. where, you know, this... Not much has changed for Stephen or Brendan since the first season. That side of the story is gone. Things are moving much slower and are more speculative than ever. Um, The question sort of becomes for me, and this has just sort of occurred to me as you were talking, is one of, is this the right time to be telling this story, right? So is the choice to make this, what, three, four years after the Mm. first one came out, does it make sense to do it now? When you've got... Uh, certain wheels have turned, yes, definitely, and there's something to tell there. It Should this be 10 episodes that are as long as it is? Mm. Should we be waiting until things move a little more? Was the, did this need to happen now? And in doing so, does this taint sort of the reasoning behind this, Existing in the first place was it more of a well? We've been filming this for four years. We need to release something, otherwise we can't keep making this thing. Basically, mm. from a financial point of view, and that's the bit. It's things like that that make me question the integrity of the show. Sometimes, not necessarily in the sense of what am I is what I'm seeing unbiased or true, but more in the sense that by putting it out now when it's sort of in this half state,
0: it's in limbo. It's in limbo yeah. in a
1: big way. Is this the right time to be telling this? And mm. is there been more damage done maybe than? Um, help being done by this thing existing
0: right now. Yeah, I right think now. this one feels more like a product than a well-loved or beloved story that they really want to tell. Well, the first one takes place over such a much longer mm, period of time. Exactly. A yep. much, much longer period of time. This is lacking in clear story. Yeah. Um, simply because it's something that I guess needed to be released – I would prefer getting something 10 years down the track. I think so. 15 years down the track where it's like, now here we are.
1: Yeah. And when it comes to the stories, I think Brendan stands out as being the highlight, for lack of a better word, in the sense that it we really get to see a journey here. Mm. We get to see the process of mm-hmm. Brendan's post-conviction efforts, this appeal to find his confession invalid or coerced and therefore essentially getting released. And that journey is a roller coaster ride in mm. some ways, though not presented. It's the slowest roller coaster of all time, um, but it is. It has a beginning, middle, end to it,
0: and I learnt a lot from it. And I learnt that,
1: that a one hell of a lot. I was from like, it.
0: I was engaged because, like, it was teaching me a lot. If about you were to
1: take that storyline mm-hmm. and just crystallise that, mm. that's really fascinating. It is. Yeah, there is a lot to learn there, and as you said, um, his lawyers. These fucking hardworking lawyers yeah. um, are adorable very nerds. God bless them. Interesting people to watch and watch mm. their struggle mm-hmm. and the Goliath effort or t- David versus Goliath effort they are trying to achieve here. This mm-hmm. thing they're trying to achieve and just how hard it is, and then all the reasons why. Like in terms of the legislation that led them to this point,
0: oh, it's so fascinating stuff.
1: In terms of like making you furious, though like you talked about how the first season made you furious. There were lots of times I was shaking my fist with fury because of things like that. Yes, just the. The
0: technicalities and, like, things that have nothing to do with this case that have caused, you know, they have to prove these ridiculous things or now things aren't options because, oh, yeah, yeah, it's The injustice
1: of it, uh, it feels tangible. Mm. It's really, really... yeah, pretty stark. Stevens' new post conviction lawyer, Kathleen Zellner, steals the show in many ways. Mm-hmm. She is, in her own right, a fascinating person and takes the case of Stephen Avery in new and exciting directions that might leave your mind might let might leave your mind reeling for more than one reason. And I think that comes to the fascination with that story. While while we want to see what she finds in terms of Stephen Avery's case, the way she's going about it, her strategy, her personality, all those things. Mm. Make for an interesting show too. And Mm -hmm. probably is the bit that I think people find the most egregious Mm. in terms of she is – there's so much to her. And her (laughs) motivations are, uh, I think, questionable in some ways. Mm -hmm. And that is – when you've had this first season that was ridiculously popular mm. and then this other lawyer goes, on and goes, oh, I want to be doing this now, put me on camera, yeah. of course you're going to have suspicion.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think theres it's fair to have suspicion about Kathleen. That doesn't make her any less interesting to watch. Um,
0: or doesn't make her any less... She's an incredible lawyer. <laughs> and that too as well.
1: She is doing... Mm. I don't think... I think Stephen is right when he says... I don't think there's anyone who could be doing this better. Mm-hmm. There really isn't anyone who could be doing this better. She
0: covers everything. It's absurd.
1: And that's always the thing that gets me. Then the, the moments where I see her like making a ridiculous tweet, which she's doing to this day, by the way, like yeah. yesterday, she was doing re- pretty <laughs> yeah, ridiculous stuff. Absurd. The She is also doing the work. <laughs> mm. And it's like, uh, it's really hard to wrap your head around that. Person, But that's kind of what makes it fascinating. Mm -hmm. But is it fascinating for the right reasons? At what cost is the question? My hope is that this series, this second part, might be the middle chapter of the new Paradise Lost. Have you watched those Paradise documentaries? The West Memphis 3 docuseries? But my worry is that that's that's not reality necessarily. Mm -hmm. That might not be the case. This might be destined to be a long, agonizing tale without any real resolution. And then you have to look back and go, well, was it worth it? <laughs> I think that's going to be interesting to discover as we go down the road. What's your final score and ranking?
0: I'm going to give it a three.
1: Oh, I'm going to give it a 3.5. Well, well, well. A little touch more than you. Mm. Um, I, was, I mean, from virtue of it being particularly engaging, like for all the things I said about being long wind, like slow and, mm. you know, all those sorts of things and questionable and it's from an ethical or yeah. standpoint, I think it's also I've, very I literally watchable.
0: found three-fifths of it really engaging. Oh, really?
1: Uh, which bits didn't you find engaging?
0: <sighs> um, I got to a point where some of the forensic stuff I just thought was like an- another one of these and it was just, it got more and more ridiculous. I was like, well, now you're just kind of convincing me that he did do it. <laughs> Because of, like, the lengths that you're going to. Um, so, I didn't find that, but you didn't get... The family stuff, while there were some really great poignant moments and also some totally. funny moments, um, there was a lot of just nothing there. Was,
1: The problem is it's repetitive. It's yeah. like you get hit over the head with the idea that Stephen's parents are getting old. It's like, yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, how, how much longer is that going for? Yeah. yeah.
0: So, things like that.
1: Sure. Spoilers for Real Life. We'd like to remind everyone that if you enjoy what we do here, we'd really appreciate you sharing the podcast with others who you think might also enjoy listening. We also appreciate your positive reviews on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher and Spotify or whatever podcast platform you prefer. But I will say that before we get into spoilers, Mm -hmm. that this is Spoilers for Real Life. You may not have watched the series yet, but maybe that doesn't matter so much to you if... If you want to keep listening, because honestly, I knew a lot of the developments, especially in the Brendan Dassey stuff, mm. um, going into it, there were a lot of there were definitely surprises along the way, but I don't necessarily know whether that's going to spoil this for you. It doesn't unravel in a particular way like that. I think you could keep listening.
0: Yeah, we're not breaking news over
1: here. No, we're not. There is This is not a well-kept secret at all. Mm-mm. So maybe we'll give you the spoiler warning, but maybe keep listening anyway. Up to you. But right now, let's talk spoilers. <laughs>
0: You're now entering the Spoiler
1: Zone. Spoiler warning! On this episode, we'll be discussing everything that happens in season 1 and 2 of Making a Murderer. Before listening any further, we sort of recommend watching all of Making a Murderer up to this point. If you've not yet done so, proceed with some caution. There are spoilers ahead for real life. You have been warned. Deep dive. It's cool to know other people think about this stuff too. Let's open with this zinger of a question. Do you think... Brendan and Stephen are guilty or innocent at this point. Oh, um. I just want—I just want your honest opinion. Where, where, what are your feelings at this point?
0: I don't think Brendan did anything. Um, when it comes to Stephen Avery, I don't know. I, don't, I, I, I flippity flop flop between guilty and not guilty.
1: What makes you flippity flop flop?
0: Well, I just, I mean, I have, that's the thing. I have been presented with a mountain of evidence mm-hmm. as to why he didn't do it. Mm-hmm. And then I've also been presented with a mountain of evidence of why he didn't do it that made me go, well, maybe he did it because they're trying really hard to convince me that he didn't do it. That is her job. Yeah, no, I get it. Yeah. But it's all like that, but that's the game that's going on in my mind is. Oh, okay did he mm. cuz like her car was there and is okay this is this is what it is it's hard for me to believe and i don't think it's impossible yeah that this is how the world works it's hard for me to believe that so many people or even just like a handful of people went to so much effort to convict this man of a crime that he didn't commit those certainly took place around his property. Um,
1: well, I think I think the thing that you need to, if if mm-hmm. I'm just sort of explain my position for a second here, sorry to interrupt, kind of. Uh, no, you're not sorry. I'm never sorry. <laughs> is that my position is yet? Yeah, Brendan is innocent. Mm-hmm. There is no doubt in my mind about that. Yeah. Whatsoever. he doesn't know what the fuck's going on. He has no fucking idea what happened. Yeah. No doubt about it. Nothing. Do I
0: think Bobby Dassey's innocent? Mm.
1: We can talk about that in a second. Stephen, I think, should never have been convicted on the prosecution's theory that they have. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any fucking chance that any of the well, the vast majority of what they said could possibly be true. Yeah. The more and more we see, the more and more, that of all the evidence that we're getting, this is the thing, right? He might be guilty, but... Kathleen, to me, has if it wasn't already obvious that it didn't happen the way that the mm. um, prosecution suggested, it is without a doubt out of my mind now. Yeah. The the one like the they
0: ca- did bad work.
1: Yeah. The mm-hmm. the 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 thing for me that stands out is the bullet that they supposedly found, mm. which is always suspect. Yeah. But then is proven beyond a doubt to have not, as far as I can tell, to have not ever travelled through a human being. Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Things like that. It's like you look at that and you. And you the look at chapstick
0: the t- wax, which I found. As she was going on and on about like, oh, and they took like evidence with D- with her DNA and then put it on thing. I was like, yeah, right. All right. It's a bit much, Kathleen. And then like the wax yeah. from the chapstick, I was like, wait, what? Oh my <laughs> God. Mm.
1: So there's, I think, I think there's no way he should be convicted on that. Similar to how I feel about Adnan. Adnan. Yeah. Is that- I actually think he probably is guilty as fuck. But because they tried to use Jay's very obviously bullshit confession Mm. or bullshit version of events to make the case, that doesn't fit with reality and therefore he shouldn't be convicted. Similarly- You got to do good work. Right. Yeah. So the version of events I think makes sense is that he very well may have done it, Mm -hmm. right? I don't think they've proved that he didn't do it. But if that's true, right? I does. I think it makes sense they do believe that Stephen Avery did it, mm-hmm. right? It's not. I think there's the chance that some people do want him to go down for the crime because they'd like him to. Yeah. But I also think they legitimately think he did do it. Yeah. Which is why they're going to the lengths to get it done. Mm. Do you know what I mean they yeah. are cooperating with people? They don't think like, they're
0: framing an innocent man.
1: They they think they they think they're making their case stick. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. they think he's guilty. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So that's the bit that makes it make sense to me. It's not that. They, yeah, are fr- they're going to great lengths to frame an innocent man. They're going to great lengths to make sure they're, that this guilty guy. guy gets yeah. gotten. Mm-hmm. And that's the bit that I have to keep remembering myself. Yeah. Because then all of a sudden, the motivations of people like Teresa's ex-boyfriend make mm-hmm. sense. They're like, we need to get this guy. This is the evidence we have, but we can't use it to convict him. But we're pretty sure it's him. We're sure it's him. Mm. If you move it, we can't do it. But if you move it we're sweet. Mm. This guy, all of a sudden, we can just look over their property as much as we want, all that sort of stuff, right? And like, and that's what you say, right? It's like, it's not even like, we don't necessarily know it's him, but we're pretty sure it's him. And once we're on the property, we'll be able to prove it. Yeah. Right? And that's the reason they moved the car. Because they moved the car and all of a sudden they have access to the property. Mm. And then they can prove it. And that's like, you've got to look at it through the sequence of events of like how it happened. And that's the bit to me that where the story makes sense. Mm-hmm. Because there's it's also the part that at, at first I always try to get my head around, like, how did the cops and Teresa's uh, ex and um, Bobby or whoever it might be all work together? They didn't. They worked separately. But all one was just trying to not get caught and the others were trying to get Stephen yeah. Avery caught. And then it all fits really simply in my mind. Yes, yeah, that that's, that's
0: a good framing device. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That
1: doesn't mean Stephen didn't do it. And in fact, all the reasons they used to decide why Bobby is likely to have been the one to do it worked for Stephen too. Mm. He was there. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like as, as much as they talk about how Bobby took after it, Stephen could have done the same thing.
0: Mm-hmm. That's true.
1: And that's the bit that always makes me go, well, maybe he did There's the
0: computer stuff though.
1: The computer stuff is... Is interesting. It's as circumstantial as them finding um, uh, handcuffs and and leg irons and stuff in Stephen's room, though.
0: Did they find leg irons?
1: I think so. Yeah. Mm. Um, all Kinky. the yeah, but those th- that it's the same sort of evidence, mm. and like it's gross and disturbing, and it definitely makes me raise an eyebrow at Bobby Dassey. Mm. But it's not. You can't convict somebody of that.
0: No, you can't. No, no, no. Nor should you.
1: And that's this is the other thing that's... That when we get to the spurious nature of this show, they legitimately throw accusations. Yeah. Like, they are not holding back and saying, we think Bobby did it.
0: Yeah. I think that's a, like... And it just comes at the end as well, but I think that's a really fascinating part. If they had waited a bit longer of the show, it's like when Bobby Dassey's name was put out there, mm-hmm. officially... Like, the rifts that that would then cause in this family. It's like, well, I want to get out. My lawyer's going to use your son to do it. That's fucking huge and heartbreaking.
1: Well, that that did happen.
0: No, that's what I'm saying. Oh, right. But, like, if you then watch how that unfolded in the family over years. Oh, sure, sure. Would, I think, be a, a much more complete story.
1: How did you feel about that phone call? That was one of the more dramatic moments in the entire show, without doubt. Mm. Um, did it say much to you? Because I don't I I, I think it can be read a million ways. I I can certainly see the reading, how that puts um, Brendan's stepdad into a pretty bad light because he looks like he's really, really overreacting in a way that's... Somewhat, I don't
0: think he's overreacting at well, all.
1: I think some people can read that as being like, make him look suspicious. Oh. But also, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's kind of a fair reaction. That's how I ways. would
0: react if yeah, yeah, someone put me on the line for... Being a murderer um yeah no that yeah that phone call was really interesting it made me I and I understand why but Stephen Avery looks very selfish in that phone call but obviously I understand why because he wants to get out of prison I I,
1: I always find that well you something you said earlier in your spoiler free review was that you know if this you know, maybe Stephen Avery's guilty, mm. but maybe he's innocent. Mm. And if he's innocent, then surely this is something we want to get done. Yeah. But that's how I feel about all of this, right? That's how. Well, I,
0: that's the conflict, yeah.
1: That's how I feel about when you're saying about like he's looking selfish, but if he's innocent, that's, he's just trying that's to what's get confusing. justice.
0: And that's why you can read things like that a million different ways because you look at it and you're like, oh, he's being selfish. Then on the other hand, like, well, if he's spent like – so fucking long in prison for a crime he didn't commit. Two crimes of course he's going to do and he should do whatever he can do to get out. Yeah. Because the system is so skewed against him.
1: And and the, the thing that always comes to mind for me, because I understand the criticism of this is insensitive when it comes to Theresa Hallback, right? Mm. Who is the victim, mm-hmm. right? And there are a few people making that point, and one of the most illustrative bits that people bring up, especially about this season, is in, like, episode two or three, uh, maybe even episode one, Kathleen has this dummy with, like, Blood bloody up. hair, and she's throw- they're throwing it into the back of the RAV4 and stuff like this, and it's pretty, you know, gruesome and mm. disturbing and not cool, right? That is I totally understand how that is. And that I think more than anything is a choice of the filmmaker, more than anything that Kathleen's doing. Like, yeah, do I was you, like, do why you do we need, need to say show that? that? Yeah, do, you, do is that make sense for you mm-hmm. to show that, really? Can yeah. we just talk about talk about the theory of it, talk about the methodology? Mm-hmm. Don't show it. Yeah, that seems really odd. Um But at the same time, while I understand the idea of having discretion for the sake of the family and for the sake of Teresa, if they've got the wrong person, mm-hmm. that means her real killer is out there somewhere. And if her real killer is out there, she has not found justice. And surely that's what everybody wants.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, that's the thing, is that doesn't have to be because when the one guy who is somewhat associated with the family is on screen and the he's the ta- only
1: person. Yeah. Mm.
0: And he's talking about how um he's like he doesn't really care whether Stephen Avery did it or not because, yeah. like, she's dead or whatever. And that's fair. It's it's not really their concern, I guess, or it shouldn't have to be their concern. It's not their job to care about whether or not Stephen Avery is innocent
1: or not. Maybe not Stephen Avery, but surely it's their job to give a shit that they actually, that the right person, like that Teresa's killer mm. is caught.
0: Yes, but also that is a mountain that maybe just, they unable to climb and we shouldn't request that of them to climb it um if if you are told that there're bad people out there and they have caught the bad person like and you've got a sense of closure then that's what you go with having to then look look at all the evidence yourself which is what they would have yeah. to do of your daughter's murder and then be like, oh, maybe he didn't do it, maybe he's out there. That is a fucking Oh, hu- I'm
1: not asking them. Huge task. Totally. And the that is the 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 absolute downside of this, is of course they're going to get dragged into this, whether mm-hmm. they like it or not. Mm-hmm. Uh like it's you can say they have a choice to not watch the documentary or whatever, mm-hmm. but as long as the documentary is out there and is popular, how do you avoid it, right? Yeah. To some degree it's gonna be there. That being said, also, that is true also of the fact that there are legitimate things being tried to be done here to get potentially an innocent man off. Mm. And the news is doing exactly the same job in their county, in their hometown, Mm -hmm. on their, you know, normal television. Like, Therese Halbach doesn't get rest because of the way the media covers it anyway. I'm not necessarily sure that making a murderer is that much worse than the community around her that's doing it, if that makes sense. Like the immediate media and stuff like that. Well, now, sure. Beforehand.
0: But when Stephen Avery... Had been convicted. That was it. Sure. And then making a murderer happen, and then the media ate it up again. Well, and now it's all over the news media.
1: I I think okay, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I get the impression that most people locally had made up their mind about Stephen Avery before making a murderer came out. Like, yeah,
0: of course, but it's not on the whole box TV people's opinions. Well, about whether but or not the Stephen appeal Avery-
1: to get Stephen Avery out is going to end up on the news. I don't think it matters whether it's. Like it's a, it was a high profile like you like that was a high profile murder case.
0: Yeah, but Stephen Avery was literally his own lawyer. Like he was doing it himself. He wasn't gonna like appeals weren't really happening. He had like public defenders.
1: So you're saying because the TV show got Kathleen Zellner involved that that is that's the documentary's influence, and therefore that's the.
0: I think the whole way through the the documentary, the focus on it mm. has absolutely unequivocally upped the amount of exposure that the Hallbucks are having about Teresa's murder.
1: <laughs> anyway, the point, the other point I wanted to get to actually, just that we talk about Teresa as being the victim, rightly so, mm-hmm. and while it's not necessarily the Hallbucks concern, one hundred like that. Stephen be found, like, be, mm-hmm. get free. He is also a victim if he's innocent.
0: Yes, absolutely. And I also think with this season in particular is that it's not really about Teresa Hallbach and people might think that's terrible, um, but it's not about the crime. It's not about the murder. It really is about the justice system, system how, it, how it functions, um, the, like, the amount of evidence and support that you need in order to fight what may be a terrible wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and then it becomes the question of, and I understand this, that this is a difficult conundrum, but obviously Teresa Hallbart cannot be removed from this, mm. this this story, but because it has to implicitly involve her, does that mean it can't be told or discussed or... Is what they're doing. That's that's obviously the people the bit that people struggle with. Anyway, let's talk about Kathleen Zelda a bit more. Mm. So, you found her... How would you describe Kathleen Zelda? How did you find her presence in the show? I loved it. Loved it? Why? In what sense?
0: Because I want to be her. <laughs> There's... So, a show called Good News, which cancelled NBC on Netflix here in Australia. Mm-hmm. I really liked it and there was one episode where Tina Fey comes in as like this high like this high up executive um, almost like Jack from 30 Rock actually and the main woman wants to be like mentored by her and she gives her a piece of advice which is listen like a man Mm -hmm. (laughs) which I have taken on board it's probably the best advice I've ever received which is to listen like a man which is just like you you don't do the active listening thing that I think a lot of women do, which is like, yeah, 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 like, you know, nodding and you just sit, let someone talk and you just take it in. And that's all she does is just she just sits there and thinks and then she responds if she thinks it's necessary. I think she's a fucking badass. Do you really think that's how men think?
1: That's how men listen? I'm pretty sure men don't listen is how they listen.
0: (laughs) Well, Kind of, it's like a power move. Sure, sure, that, I understand what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. That, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That like. Don't expose yourself as much. Just let mm. the person talk themselves. Don't into feel their the own need crowd. to
0: try and make the other person feel validated. Sure, sure, which is quite good.
1: Yeah, she's she is so fascinating. It. She feels uh, like she should have been constructed for a film. Like, well,
0: this is what I want. Is like I want a TV show that is exactly Kathleen Hel- Helner. Kelner, uh, Kelner Ka- Ka- Fa- Kathleen Zelner. Zelna. Zelna. God, Z. I find it really hard to Remember grab that a name? hold of her name. Um, but I want her to, her entire essence, to be transported into a fictional TV drama in which she is played by Holly Hunter, who also has that kind of like side spooky thing. Sure. That's what I want because I think the character is so incredible and I'm very engaged with how she talks about the prosecution yes um and how she just thinks they're a group of bumbling idiots <laughs> i really enjoy that um oh, i like i want her to be my mentor i think she's amazing i
1: think one of my favorite things that she said is that you know do you really want me because if you're Guilty, I'm gonna find out, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah. Which is true. That that that's the thing I always have to keep remembering along the way as well, is like so many, so often these bits of evidence that she was testing mm-hmm. could have really supported yeah. under more scrutiny the idea that Stephen Avery killed mm-hmm. Teresa Hallbach But none of them do. And you can you can look at them and go, well, maybe they're being a little bit, you know, they're presenting a very specific idea of what actually happened. Mm-hmm. And that's very spurious, some of that. But so much of it could have turned around and go, oh, yeah, it's got Theresa Hulbock's DNA all over it. I was like, wait a second.
0: (laughs) And also, that's like a fault of the prosecution is that they've given up this very specific idea of...
1: That is the Achilles heel.
0: ...what happened. And she's like, all right, well, if these are all the dot points that you've told me, this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then they're just the steps I have to follow to disprove. And it's like you said, because while he may have done it very highly unlikely that that's how it happened... And so she's just able to disprove it at every step.
1: The bit that I keep can't get my head around right is that it seems that they did not use Brendan's confession in Stephen Avery's uh, uh. conviction. So the story they've concocted, yes, well, it fits Brendan's um, confession, doesn't make any fucking sense.
0: Yeah, it's because they had <laughs> convicted him in the court of public opinion with that stupid news conference that cats did Kratz? Kratz, Kratz, that Kratz did don't
1: bring cats into this they don't deserve to be sh- no, smeared like that no
0: they don't I got a little cat on my bed right here hey cutie um, yeah so he did that stupid fucking one man show <laughs> yeah. about what happened <laughs> yeah and then of course they had to rehash it during the trial it's just fucking morons I hate him he's a dickhead <laughs> What a f- disgusting testicle of a human! Just ugh, gross. He's very, very he's, well He's worked. just like the personification of a wet fart. Don't like him.
1: Do you? Do you have? Con- I know you obviously idolise Kathleen Zellner. Do you have concerns about her, her motivations, what she's doing, why?
0: Oh, I'm sure a lot. A big part of her motivation is publicity. Sure. Um, and obviously with like wrongful convictions overturning them, they have the potential for a huge payday. And I'm sure that's, you know, a part of what she does, what she does. She's very good at what she does. Seems to be a pretty good cause. Um, I don't think her intentions are nefarious. Yeah. I think she's just, she's found a niche that she's really fucking good at. Um, and I don't begrudge her that.
1: Yeah, I, I was thinking about that as well. It's like, well, it's obvious. It's easy to look at the like the way she gets on social media and think that's attention seeking, right? Mm. And the thing is, I think it is attention seeking. But I think that's it's strategic. Part of that's, the strategy, that's, right? Yeah, like that's get part of the it. public talking, get mm-hmm. people on side, mm-hmm. give build that pressure. It's yeah. deliberate, absolutely, um, and exactly what you would want your lawyer doing if you mm-hmm. were in Stephen Avery's mm-hmm. situation. It's all about the
0: momentum, keeping the momentum up.
1: Absolutely. Um, do you have concerns? We've sorry already talked about you know th- how this is uh, tricky because Teresa Hallbach is obviously her family don't want to be involved. Mm. But do you think it's um, a problematic that they haven't included anybody from that side? There is nobody from the pro- obviously they don't want to be. They've, there's that huge list at mm. the end of every episode, episode that says we approach these people and now they want to talk to us. Is that an issue? Do you think, or is that like? Does that, is that a weakness of the show? Is that a weakness of the of the filmmakers? Is it a weakness? Is it something that you just have to soldier on because what are you going to do anyway? You got a story to tell and these people don't want to talk. We just got to work with what we've got.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think the filmmakers probably did the right thing in which, yeah, this season is not a focus on the crime. It's a focus on the justice system because there isn't participation from the people who are affected by the crime. Mm-hmm. Um, is it a weakness? Hard... To say I don't know what the Holbrook family would add. Um Yeah, it's it's obviously this enormous tragedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's it's hard to say. Because they the filmmakers don't really they don't have an option.
1: Well, that's the next question. The The other accusation is that the filmmakers are biased, that they only have one story they want to tell mm. anyway. They've gone in with the presumption of Stevens' mm-hmm. innocence and are working from that. Do you feel that's true? Yeah. You think they, they are convinced that he's innocent? Not just that he might be, should not have been convicted based on the evidence, but is actually a man who is innocent of the crime. I think they of? believe
0: he's innocent, yeah.
1: Do, so is that problematic though? If they're, like we can talk about how they have to move on anyway mm. because they can't get the hallbacks or anybody from yeah. the prosecution involved but if they already just believe in the, you know, the story, the side of the story they're telling anyway, it's kind of they've compromised their own storytelling.
0: Yeah, I mean, does it compromise the storytelling? I mean, it depends what you want the story to be or what you think the story should be or what you think a documentary should be.
1: Let's get, question, what's the responsibility here?
0: Um, well, it's hard because, okay, so say the filmmakers truly believe 100% that he is innocent, mm-hmm. then wouldn't you tell, so this guy has been wrongfully convicted. You tell that story, you do whatever you can to get him out. Sure. So if that's truly what they believe. Then I understand the need to tell that story and to tell that story in a very detailed way to truly convince people. Yep. Um, so, uh, I don't know. It's, yes, it's biased. Does it compromise the story? I don't. I think it's their bias is pretty on the table. Sure. I don't think they're trying to pretend as though they're giving the cops the benefit of the doubt or showing the perspective at all. Yep. Um, so, I th- I d- yeah. I mean, it is what it is. This is their opinion. They're putting it forth.
1: So, okay, yeah, yeah. No, I think that's fair. I don't think they are hiding their their perspective at all. And you, yeah, you look at the way they sort of show the media and what they're saying or how the people of the area truly believe that Stephen and Brandon both are guilty, a lot of them anyway, mm. not everybody, and you see the people who are there in support of Teresa Hallbach and those sorts of things. Mm. And is that like is that enough to just make sure they remind people that are there are other people who don't agree with us here and that, you know, this is not necessarily the the popular opinion and, like, do they, they at least have a responsibility to do
0: that? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it would benefit the story, certainly to have a bit more of the sense of how the community feels about it. Mm. Um, I wouldn't mind a bit more of that, though we did get quite a bit of that in season one.
1: Yeah, that's true too. It's just hard to know what they're meant to do. Like, what is the most... How are you meant to do this responsibly? Again, if you really do believe this person is innocent, the most responsible thing is to get them out, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what can you possibly be doing differently?
0: <laughs> I don't know. Do you just give You're them... You're posing me all these you, impossible questions. I, know, I'm, so I don't I'm, know am posing answer.
1: myself. Do you then have Netflix, Netflix also fund and go, hey, here's the prosecution, have all this money, make your own version of this if you don't like ours. Like, give them equal opportunity. Is that what you do? I don't know what you how do you how do you reflect that how do you how do you fight the demon that this has gotten popular people are are eating this up they're mm. they're making podcasts about it to talk about it
0: mm.
1: It's obviously a real thing it's traumatic it's dangerous it's problematic i, I don't know how is
0: it dangerous
1: it's it's dangerous that the guy's guilty yeah it's dangerous that you are giving Light to something that is going to let someone free who doesn't deserve to, who deserves to be in jail. That's the dangerous part.
0: But okay, not not including yes. the effect on the family. Ho- like- However, if we both agree, and I think it's fair to say that the case that was made shouldn't have convicted him, yeah. whether he's guilty or not, he should be set free. Mm-hmm. So the filmmakers didn't do that. The prosecution did that, so yeah, I'm not sure that I see it as dangerous because if the danger is there, it was there regardless of the film existing or not.
1: Yeah, you know, it absolutely is. It's yeah, I don't know. It's I just think it's it's in such an interesting place because there is there's like there's always a discussion about making a murderer is like the people who aren't sure that Stephen Avery didn't do it mm. find the show problematic. Find the show irresponsible, find the show all those things. Mm-hmm. Is that is that a it's not as not, not, is that a valid opinion or a valid position? It's like how much does that matter that people feel that way? Mm. Is, is that important enough to affect that should affect the show in any way or affect the way this documentary is being told?
0: I mean I it's hard, it's hard cuz we're so far removed from that world. Mm. I I, yeah, you can think that you can think that it's problematic, but also like
1: and gross, and all those sorts of things y-
0: yeah i don't, yeah i don't I don't see it as gross, I don't see it as problematic, I think it's just telling a story. Yeah, I don't, can, I, can I
1: read a quote from yeah. – um, this is an article written by Cameron Williams, actually, who we talked about earlier, friend of the show. Why true crime stories are entertaining or ethical, but not both. As the true crime phenomenon rolls on with each new documentary series, podcast, book, or dramatization, it begins to feel like audiences are drifting further from the reality of the situation. People are trading in trauma like it's Monopoly money and promising a neat conclusion. Extremely rare with active true crime narratives, which leads to viewers' satisfaction. The basic principles of storytelling still apply, beginning, middle, and end. People crave a fulfilling ending that true crime may never be able to give or earn. As the details of a case get sensationalized to offer answers and a sense of justice, we begin to forget that a real person died. But these narratives should never be satisfying because they began at a moral disadvantage that's becoming clearer at the height of the true crime craze. As the true crime blitz rolls on, the production Productions are beginning to become shallow, as shallow as the crimes themselves. They've turned misery into theme into a theme park. So the idea of like that these as a source of entertainment Mm -hmm. is problematic as well. Even if it's got a subject matter that might be important, Mm -hmm. you know, that this might shed a light on the justice system. But maybe a lot of people are just interested in the the grisliness of this situation as well. I that's that's the thing about this. I don't about think this.
0: that fits I, making a murderer though, because
1: it's that's kind of how I feel as well. Interestingly, it's like I definitely agree with that. Like there are parts of it that might that do feel icky. That that image of the dummy being yeah. thrown into the back of the car is kind of gross, and the and yeah, that's going to be disturbing to people, especially mm. Teresa Hallbach's family. And yeah, that list of names at the end can be problematic because you look at it and go, well, pff, how. Fair can this really be? Mm. But does that yeah. mean it's wrong? Does that mean you can't have this shit? Yeah, I just so
0: I think there are things that that argument certainly applies to. Yeah, I don't think it applies to making a murderer because mm-hmm. it isn't about glorifying or getting into the nitty gritty of how this woman might have died in a horrible way. It is about it's really focused on forensic science and it's really focused on law. Yeah. Yeah, it just it, – and I don't think that – I don't get a sense of yuckiness from it sure. at all. It doesn't feel exploitative. And I think if we got this perspective of the Hallbox that wasn't from them um, or it was too much of like, oh, what a tragedy that we – that they lost Teresa, but it, it, it would feel disingenuous. Whereas, like, com- if we completely – Go on the other side of like, this is a story about two people that were convicted under very bizarre and murky circumstances. Yeah. These are the systems in place that are keeping them there when they probably shouldn't be there. And this is the fight that they're up against. That's what the show's about yeah. to me.
1: I agree. Yeah. I think it's there. And it's like, because it's involving a murder we're going to have to get to some icky places mm-hmm. that you may see as gross or insensitive or um yeah glorifying of but i i think those moments are so rare and so i mean it's such a slow ponderous pace of a mm. show because it wants to be specific on the details yeah as much as it can be, there are mm-hmm. obviously accusations that they d- didn't include certain evidence in the first series. I love that they actually bring that stuff up in yeah. really early in this series. They talk about the reaction to the documentary. Mm-hmm.
0: They make that reminded me of um, American Vandal, yeah, season two,
1: absolutely. But that's I think that's important too because it's because we, as we've discussed already, whether they like it or not, they are now part of this story. Mm-hmm. The, the documentary is part of the part yeah. of this narrative now, and which is. Oh, again, it's like while it's part of the story and acknowledges it's part of the story, which is the right thing to do. The filmmakers never insert themselves into it. Do you know the names of the filmmakers who make this? No, neither do I. I wrote it <laughs> written down. I said it earlier when I did the uh, yeah. the rundown bit, but I d- I and I've probably read it a million people. times,
0: but I can't remember it.
1: But no one else knows. Yeah, they certainly are going to be able to make documentaries for the rest of their life because of their they have made this success. Mm. But this isn't about it. It's not. I don't think it can be any more about attention, except on trying to examine this story and particularly the details of the legal side of this. Mm-hmm. Like it's there. Yeah. It's. I think it's pretty on the face. I think we could ramble on forever, and I think I blame myself primarily for that. Have you got something specifically you would like to talk about before we move on? Please do. I always do. blame you. Um, you sure. It's, I think this was my fault. This one.
0: Ah, oh, this. So. A lot, yeah, a lot of this season is about the forensic science and emerging forensics. Yes. And I remember when I was um, reading or listening to I'll Be Gone in the Dark, a f- one part, like a forensic guy was shaking his head and laughing about the tools and the tex- techniques that they used to use. Yeah. Which is terrifying because that's what they use to convict people, scientists and police officers spoke about things with, like, absolute certainty. Yeah. And to know now that that's laughable, the things that were once so certain are now actually laughable to scientists, which then makes me go, no matter what new emerging forensic shit, I am like, oh, it's just going to be disproven in, like, 15 years' time. (laughs) I can't trust anything.
1: Are you paranoid? Yeah, it
0: has. But also I think because we know now with so much exposure – about how trials work, and how you know the different sides get experts to kind mm-hmm. of really say whatever they need them to say, which I think was really well demonstrated in the staircase, yes, um that when Kathleen would bring a New an expert, expert in, yeah, I'd be like, well, this is I mean this who is this guy, yeah, yeah you know exactly what I mean, right. like it doesn't really you can all sit around a table and hypothesize whatever, but I don't trust it. It's not convincing to me, and you know that guy's brain scan. I'm like, that might be that might be true. That um, might the
1: brain scan one fits at, as being particularly. And then serious. I was like,
0: but it's probably not. It's yeah. probably just you know lie detectors are bullshit. Yeah, this is probably just another load of bullshit. So
1: yeah. I think they used like a. Uh- Gma segment talking about it or something like that to like that's how they use the documentary it's like oh this new science is coming through it was like a TV mm. spot in a new like a local news station oh, something I like didn't, that didn't see that I baby. think I can't remember but it was like the way it was talked about was mm. like it didn't it didn't fill me with confidence that this was no. great science here I also thought that test was just a bit weird because like she was putting in her idea of how the yeah it was so specific
0: to, to like putting her hi- like her Teresa in the car in such a specific way. I was like, well if it just didn't happen, then of course he's not gonna recognize exactly it. Exactly right, yeah. Yeah. But because of how the prosecution put it forward, like, well this is what happened, mm-hmm. then if that's not like that's their case. And so if it didn't happen that way, then he doesn't and he doesn't recognize it, then it what they said happened except can't be true. Except the- this is no, Probably but she wasn't
1: that. using the prosecution's theory. She was put using her theory on him, right? Oh, that's
0: right. Because the way they said it happened didn't work. So, they must have done it. And well, they, well, it well. had yeah.
1: to be something that he had not I detailed the case that he didn't know about. Yeah. Which is the, which is the problem. Which is why he, that test is We all so know ridiculous. everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the problem. It's like you, th- yeah. that test is kind of rubbish mm. because you're got to throw details. He doesn't have yeah. do you know. I would be
0: convicted of the murder fire to go through that test. <laughs> so, like, oh, I know everything. <laughs>
1: exactly mm. right. Uh, anything else particularly that you want to talk about?
0: So Barb, yes, Brendan's mum, looks like Peg from Lady in the Tramp. Now, do you know what Peg looks like? Yeah, I know yeah. what Peg
1: looks like. Don't Brandon. you think she
0: looks like Peg? With like the heavy fringe yeah. and like the eyeliner and stuff? Yeah, I can kind of- As s- soon as I saw her this season, I was like, it's that fucking dog from Lady oh. in the Tramp. <laughs> That's <was> my big-
1: <laughs> Poor br- Barb. I-, I think she- Hey, no,
0: Peg was the sexy dog.
1: Sure. You just called her a dog though.
0: Your fucking dog. How Australian <laughs> is that? <laughs> no, uh, she's a lovely woman. I don't I don't mean it as an insult, I just think she she has a heavy fringe like that dog from Lady the Tramp.
1: It is hard to not like we were talking about how Brandon's Brendan's story is the one, you know, we feel pretty solid that he is innocent. Yeah, it's very this. sad. And so to watch her deal with the ups and downs of that. Story.
0: Poor woman. You know, the other thing yeah.
1: is now the way this ends with him not getting hurt at the Supreme Court. The only way that, as far as I can tell, I don't know anything about law, mm. that he is <laughs> that he is likely to actually get looked at again is if Stephen is proven innocent. Like that's the only way because mm. if Stephen's proven innocent, all of a sudden his confession doesn't make sense and it's false, right? Yeah. He gets his thing. It's proven to be false, and that's the only way it happens. Mm. He is now relying on Kathleen Zellner <laughs> as much as Stephen is relying on Come Kathleen Zellmer.
0: Yeah. Oh, my favorite scene? Yep. When the Avery mama and papa are driving to the prison.
1: And he forgot his his license. But like,
0: (laughs) they're talking to each other, and they're both just like, Why'd you say? (laughs) Why'd you say? What? What? There's a mosquito in here. Like, it's just such a good scene. There's a
1: bit later on as well where, poor thing. She reminds me so much of my nana who sadly passed away Aww. a few years ago. She's so similar. But she's trying to turn on the um the stove and she's <laughs> yeah. not sure. And she's like, come and help me. He's like, what? He's like, come and help me. And he gets up finally, and comes over. And he's like, he turns it on and it's like. She's like, is that the right one? He's like, you want to for you? I was like, oh,
0: God. There's having two different conversations all the time. It's I, great. All
1: the time, I just kept thinking about the person in there with the camera who's just yeah. like, I could just help her, but I can't. I have to be, an, you know. But
0: also, like, try not to laugh. being like, this is fucking amazing. Oh. Yeah. They're Uh, they're great characters. They're poor
1: folks. Beautiful, interesting Uh. people. He in particular. I mean, she, the mother, is uh, you know. It's incredibly sad to watch her obviously struggle with her health Mm. and to struggle with how much she misses Stephen and how much, how much. Better off she feel, would feel if he was around. Yeah. But to see him who's had to just keep working into his fucking 80s or whatever yeah. it is now, his body is... Someone's a chiropractor. I look at his body and go, I don't even know how you're standing, yeah. let alone working. And then mm. to see the moments where he breaks down, where he just like, I don't know. There's don't one know shot where he's
0: talking about, you know, he's talking about him and mama, mama. passing away and he's like, you know, because it happens. And he's just like, you know, I just like want to be around that we give Stephen a, a big hug or whatever and he yeah. just starts crying. And then you, then they have like a shot of mama and she's just like, obviously sad, but like having to see him cry is really hard yeah. for her. And, uh, yeah, i remember really like when I, cause I watched this quite a while ago and I, I tweeted, I was like, can someone please make some sort of immortality potions just to keep them alive until Stephen's out? Cause I just can't bear the heartbreak. Yeah, It's it's so sad. Okay. Uh, what a great note to end <laughs>
1: yeah thank you very much for listening to this episode of Hunting Seasons you can find more of what we do via our website huntingseasonspodcast.com our logo and design work comes from Sean Kirkpatrick aka at Shawnee Boy Draws our theme song from Jordan Calavis and our bumpers from Lucas Hale of Birthday Lottie Club find links to their work in our show notes you can also find myself Broderick Gordis, on Twitter at bgordas b-g-o-r-d-e-s damask
0: you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Next m-a-s
1: we back to discuss Doctor Who Series Eleven. I've got to catch up on that. <laughs> uh, there's only like ten hour long episodes out. Oh, You'll be fun. Yeah. In the meantime, thank you again for listening. We'll be back next time. Bye for now.
0: Bye. Hold up.